Welcome, welcome to another episode of Stat Stories. I am Chad Shanks. And I'm Justin Kabatko. The 2016-17 NBA season is just over a month old, but already Anthony Davis has put up a full season's worth of incredible stats. The only problem is, his team is still a raging dumpster fire. So it got us wondering, among other things, what is the best performance by a player on a bad team? How do you even quantify that, and what's the relationship between how we view a player relative to his team's success? All that, and probably more, in episode 16, The Best of the Worst. So Anthony Davis started this season with a bang, with 50 points in his opening night game, one of only four to have 50 points in a season opener, and he hasn't really let up since then. He already has a new career high for 40-point games in a season, and as the time we're recording this, it's just now December, and he has more 40-point, 10-rebound games than the rest of the NBA combined. Uh, It's still early, but he's averaging a point, rebound, and blocks combo that hasn't been done since Bob McAdoo back in 1975. Uh, The only players that have even come close to that have been Hakeem Olajuwon and David Robinson back in the 90s. So he's doing stuff that is incredible and that we haven't seen in years and years. Only problem is the Pelicans got off to an 0-8 start and have just been embarrassing and a disaster. Um, They've gotten a little bit better once Drew Holiday has returned from taking time to be with uh, his pregnant wife who was diagnosed with a brain tumor, which, I mean, I don't know if I would be in the mood to be uh, playing for a terrible basketball team if that happened to me and my wife, but more power to Drew Holiday for that. We wish the best for him, but Davis has been putting up incredible incredible numbers and for the most part it is it has all been for naught because the pelicans are a disaster i I think you're i think you're being like hyperbolic here a little bit they're now they've gotten better now they've gotten better they started 0 and 8 and they've won seven of their last 11 so i I think they've been degraded from a dumpster fire to maybe a small skillet fire or something it's there's well they're playing well lately let me tell you who who i think agrees with me and that's Anthony Davis. So we have a quick quote here I'm going to set up. He told uh, Mark Stein on the True Hoop podcast that um, that I saw via Deadspin, the wonderful website that likes to take everything, everything in the world and then just shit on it and make it incredibly negative and pessimistic. But that's shout out to Deadspin for pointing out this quote. But here's what um, Anthony Davis told Mark Stein. Nobody wants to start on eight. You know, nobody wants uh, to start off on the wrong on the wrong foot, but it happens. I mean, some teams, you know, have whoever on their team where they're able to, you know, do whatever they want on the floor. You know, for us, we had to be a blue collar guys who coming in and work, being scrappy, first to the floor, rebounding the ball, sharing the ball. That's how we have to be, um, and and that's how we've been the past couple of weeks, and that's how we were able to get wins. So all of that is a really nice way of saying. I am playing with a bunch of bums. <laughs> I I am stuck with some horrible, horrible teammates. The the line about some people have whoever on their team, they're able to do whatever they want on the floor. I mean, that's I wonder wonder who he's talking about there. Hmm, let's think. Yeah, I wonder what what does he what does he mean? Like, is Anthony Davis just watching uh, clips of the Warriors game? Like, just crying, like little tears coming down, or he sees like even the Cavs went out and got. Kevin Love and stuff brought brought in some people for LeBron and he's just sitting there 
He's a once-in-a-generation talent that fell in the Pelicans' lap, and they've squandered it by surrounding him with... Omar Ashik. Omar Ashik, who still can't make a damn layup. Like, this guy... I remember with the Rockets, I watched this dude miss so many wide-open layups. He's seven feet tall and can't make a layup and won't dunk it. And they still have him on the team, even though he and Davis are essentially clogging up the, the middle together. Although Davis has this season like extended his range greatly, even though he's not you know, launching threes like we've seen Mark Gasol do so far this season. He's still like brought his game out a little bit. But yeah, you keep Omer Ashik on that team, even re-signing him, and he does he does nothing and if anything gets in the way of Davis. They've also they've surrounded him with Holiday, like we said, who's a who's been a good player when healthy, but I don't see him as anything more than a good sixth man on a on a playoff team or a contending team. Do you do you think Drew Holiday if would you be happy if you, you got a team and your second best player is Drew Holiday. Are you are you happy with that? No, not happy with that. Okay, all right. Name without without looking. Name as many players on the Pelicans roster besides the ones we've already named. Uh, okay. Buddy Heald. Yeah, who's worked out great. It was a wonderful early early another gem from the draft from the New Orleans Pelicans. Okay. Um... Uh, oh, the guy that went to Penn State, Tim Frazier. Um, Tim, yeah. Uh, 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 the guy that went to Purdue, Aquan uh, Moore. Oh. So you're, yeah, you know these people from their college careers. <laughs> exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. Name one thing they've done in the uh, in the NBA. They had Lance Stevenson, but they got rid of him. Didn't they get uh, Langston Galloway from the Knicks? Yeah. Yep. Uh. You were already in the. 99th percentile of people outside of New Orleans who can name name Pelicans players. <laughs> they picked up they picked up Terrence Jones just thinking, "Hey, he went to Kentucky." I mean, probably the the same amount of success, right? Everyone from Kentucky is good. Well, they're learning that lesson the hard way. So, anyway, even though they are getting better, they are getting a little bit better and by the time the season's over, they may not end up as you know, one of the worst teams of all time. Like, they're not going to go 76ers level of tanking, but then again, the 76ers never had anyone putting up the type of numbers that Anthony Davis is putting up. But let's just, let's assume if the Pelicans remain anywhere close to their trajectory the first the first month, or month and a half, whatever it's been of the season, that Anthony Davis will be in the conversation of one of the best performances on an awful team, maybe not ever, but just in in recent memory at least, would you would you at least agree with that? So obviously not knowing where the Pelicans are going to end up, but they have a lot of assumptions. Right. Yeah, a lot but, of assumptions. But if they end up, say, like a fifty-something lost team, and he continues to produce like he's producing now, I would say he's actually a candidate for the best player ever on a bad team ever ever all right so there are a few things we need to right, let me let me correct that not best, best season ever for a bad team yeah 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 yeah. all right yeah there are a few things we need to clarify in that number one how are we how are we determining a bad team what are what are the qualifications here for a bad team are we saying 
just missing the playoffs, a sub 500 record. Um, no, what I did was uh, so we may have done this differently because we did we did the research independently. But what I did was basically said any team that had a winning percentage that was equivalent to that of a team that would lose 50 games in a season. So basically, a 50 loss team is, is a bad team. Okay, and are, are I mean, and that's our just... that's totally arbitrary, right? So it, yeah, it's very arbitrary. I mean, all this shit is arbitrary. Like <laughs> that's one thing. Any we cite stats, and yes, stats are very quantifiable and hardcore numbers and stuff like that. But a lot of times, whenever you start comparing and contrasting and stuff, a lot of this stuff just gets arbitrary really fast. And anyone anyone who's not already aware of that should should keep that in mind. But Justin, at least, is an expert in the field, so when he gets arbitrary, it's at least somewhat grounded in uh, reality. Sometimes I just make crap up off the top of my head, and if Justin's not there to correct me, it can it can spin out of control really fast. But let's not get into your private he's here, life. Yeah, he's he's here right now, and so I trust anything that he says blindly. A lot of times, you should just sneak some straight up lies into the podcast. See if I catch you. Who says it happened? Where was I going with all I of haven't? this? <laughs> you might have. We're de- we're no de- one knows. That's we're defining bad teams. So would you say? All right, are we define, limiting, if we're going to say, a player's performance, like, say, off the top of my head, like Anthony Davis last year. So the Pelicans were really bad, but he ended up missing a lot of the season with an injury. And he, he so, was also something of a disappointment last year. I mean, yeah. I know preseason, a lot of people were, were putting him forward as, like, you know, top three or four MVP candidate. And he did not really meet those expectations last year. Probably a lot to do with the fact that a, the Pelicans were crummy, and B, he was dealing with some injuries pretty much all season long. Yeah, so I guess if you're looking at a player who missed an extended amount of time, are you only looking at his record or the team the team's record when he was in the lineup? Or are we saying, is there a threshold for a full season? Like you have to play in at least 50 of your team's games. Yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't look like at guys that. who played like 15 games for a horrible team. So, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm looking, yeah, yeah. At, I was looking at guys they... who played, you know, a very large percentage of the season. Is there a general number to where you say this guy's stats count enough for an entire season? I mean, I know that gets factored into your end-of-season uh, points-per-game leaders and stuff like that. Um I mean, is there an agreed-upon number? Like, this guy has to play 48 games, I mean, no, 55 uh, well, so games. So, again, it's something. arbitrary. The NBA uses a cutoff of, um, uh, I believe it's 70% of a team's games played. So, in an 82-game season, that's like 58 games or something like that. So, if you want to qualify for points-per-game leadership, you have to play at least 58 games. Okay. Again, right. completely arbitrary, but it, it's approximately 70% of the team's games. All right, so given those those qualifications, like whenever whenever you think of this argument, because we're not the only ones who've discussed things like this with Davis, especially as he was putting up 50 a, a game and the Pelicans were not winning anything at the beginning of the season. When you start thinking of best performances on a bad team, not in even if it's just one single season performance or just overall career. Is there are there any players that just pop into your head instantly and you think, "Oh yeah, this is great player could never get any wins." Well, actually, so a modern player who probably before Davis was 
had the uh, title of best player on a bad team was probably um, Kevin Love. Back in the uh, yeah, like pre back in the T Wolves days, yeah. right? Especially like uh, the 2010-11 and 2011-12 seasons, Love was was incredible in those years. If you remember, he had a streak of like 53 consecutive double doubles in yeah, which season was it? I think it was 2010-2011, and that's the longest such streak since the uh, merger. So he was putting up fantastic numbers for just really bad T Wolves teams. They lost. 65 games that the in 2010-11 and the next year was the lockout shortened season they went 26 and 40 so just not very good teams yeah i saw when i was i was going through trying to flag seasons that stuck out like that kevin love and uh the lockout shortened season uh like you said 26 and 40 and he averaged 26 points 13 rebounds a game roughly yeah he was the epitome of the they called you know a stat stuffer or whatever putting up these big numbers and it went nowhere and so then he goes to the cavaliers and of course his numbers drop considerably but hey he's got a ring now so but it shouldn't it should not have been a surprise i mean he wasn't gonna yeah of course and and also as i think you we witnessed with chris bosh there's definitely an adjustment for for post players when they have to start playing with lebron and if you look at Love this year, I think maybe now in his third season, he's finally getting comfortable playing with LeBron. And he's having a really, really good year this year. He had good years the past two years. It's just that people didn't see it because of the the significant dip in his per-game numbers. But he's been a really good player with the Cavs. And this year, he's really stepped up. Yeah, he became kind of a scapegoat there whenever they, uh, when they were, when they were struggling. Well, the same thing happened to Bosch in Miami, right? I mean, yeah, they, they were saying the same things about Bosch. I remember. Um, and once again, it's just, it's just that adjustment. I remember, like when Bosch went to the Heat, he was never really a three point shooter with the Raptors, but as he as he played with LeBron and as he developed his game, he had to become a three point threat, which he did with the Heat. Yeah, we talked about I talked about that in um, a blog post recently about uh, Mark Gasol and how the Grizzlies are just shooting like crazy and, and Brooke um, Lopez too. I mean, have you looked at Brooke Lopez's three pa- three point stats this season? This season, yes. Oh, he's he's no. jacking well, up like five or six a game. I haven't paid attention to the Nets at all, <laughs> and, and I don't think anyone really has until uh, Jeremy Lin comes back, and then he's he's always interesting in however way you want to interpret that. Yeah, I haven't paid attention to the Nets at all, but yeah, I'll just interpret that as his hair, his hair, and it. Yeah, I anyway, I always like the guy. Um, anyway, to get back to that, thinking about Bosch and stuff, we did when I talked about in a blog post about the Grizzlies shooting threes and how David Fisdale, their coach now, who was the assistant coach in Miami, that was kind of one of the driving forces of when Bosch got there. He's like, hey, guy, you can't just stand in the lane anymore because the LeBron freight train needs to come through. So you need to get out there and your ass needs to shoot some threes. And so Bosch adjusted the same way that Kevin Love adjusted. And their stats suffered a little bit. But at the end of the day, they were on teams that won titles. And isn't that the, the ultimate goals? You know, you ask any player, well, would you rather have – statistically one of the best seasons of all time and win 10 games and be out of the playoffs or would you rather be a role player on a championship team i think almost all of them at least from my experience in the nba would probably take the latter um one player who 
<laughs> maybe I don't know if he would make this decision. Um, he's the the person that pops in my head whenever I think who's the best player on bad teams. The first person without any hesitation is Demarcus Cousins. He's the he's the one that pops in my head because dude, dude has been statistically incredible since he's come into the league. Don't put any other factors into it. Don't think. Just look at his box scores. He's been incredible. Um, more 35.10 rebound games than any other player since he's been in the league. Five games with 35 and 20 boards, which is one fewer than the rest of the league combined in that in that time. But how many playoff wins does he have? How many playoff I don't think they've been in the playoffs at many, all. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't think they've even been in the playoffs. Um, and they've just been a complete disaster. Um, not just just in, in an overall, just from the NBA pers- uh, perspective at all, they, uh, overall, the, the franchise is not really considered to be one of the best run. And so you look at situations like with him, with DeMarcus Cousins, well, how much of it is his fault, really? I mean, like Anthony Davis is putting up these incredible numbers, but he doesn't really have anyone to help him out. DeMarcus Cousins has been saddled with some dysfunctional rosters over the the times that he been he's been there uh, with p- having to play alongside Rondo and um, things like that. So, in, do you have an opinion on how much blame can go on a, a superstar for the team's overall performance in the NBA? I think in the NBA, it's probably greater than any other sport. Because and that's just, just due to due to the number of players on the court at any one time, right? I mean, you only have four other teammates out there with you. In football, you've got what ten other guys with you. Baseball, your opportunities are limited because you can only bat a certain number of times a game. You have to follow the batting order, etc. Um, in hockey, yeah, there's only six people on the ice at a time. Five of them skaters, but they do shift changes constantly. So they might end up playing like a third of the game in terms of ice time. So I, I think it is fair in, in basketball to take the players who we think are stars and put a a large portion of the blame on them. That doesn't mean obviously that all of the blame should should go to them, but I, I think there is there is some truth to the fact that if you're not a good team, it could be your star is just not that good. Yeah, and he, the star may not be may be great from a statistical standpoint, but the from the team play standpoint, that's where they could fall a little short, or even behind the scenes leadership standpoint. Or that, I mean, do you buy into that argument that that the true level of a player's greatness is that he makes the players around him great? He should, right? I mean, he should. Yeah, and so is it Anthony Davis' fault that? Etwan Moore isn't, you know, isn't living up to the the billing of a star player playing alongside Anthony Davis. Is that is that Anthony Davis's fault? Well, another way you could frame that though is that Etwan Moore is the best version of Etwan Moore he can be because of Anthony Davis. So you know, you don't know what Moore's ceiling would be necessarily. Maybe this is it. Uh, people criticize me for this podcast not being like the greatest sports podcast and i'm like look look what i have to work with here i mean i can't i can only elevate this guy so much and so i feel like anthony davis in a way that i'm bringing this podcast gold 
every time we do this, but I just have to constantly just pull you along, pull you in along. So I don't think it's fair to say that one person's greatness should be affected by those around him. So like what I was saying about players who are the so-called stars, they should receive a, a large portion of the blame in the NBA. That just flew right over your head <laughs> earlier. You, you didn't like, you didn't get that I was kind of maybe drawing a parallel between that and no, I got and it. Current I got situation. it. I just disagree. I just disagree with you one hundred percent. Anyway, moving on. So, beginning of the season, when everyone's making their their big predictions, everyone's talking about. Um, Russell Westbrook's going to go off this season. Russell Westbrook is number one overall fantasy pick, which I agree with, and he's lived up to that because you see he's already put up like nine triple doubles and has been incredible. And the the Thunder have been decent to mediocre, right? They had. I mean, they're, they're not aren't they like on pace yeah. for 48, 49 wins? That's better than mediocre. But they're not. Do you think the Thunder are a contender? I mean, no, they're not going to win the NBA title, more than likely. So. But let's say, so everyone's predicting at the beginning, like Russell Westbrook should be the easy pick for MVP this season. But the problem with saying something like that with, is like if Westbrook continues to put up triple doubles, unless he goes to some kind of like historic rate, like most triple doubles ever in a season, uh, if unless the Thunder or are a top three, four seed, like there's no way he gets. MVP because history has shown us that the MVPs of the NBA are completely tied to your to your team's record. I, don't, I think I disagree so, though. I think if he goes if, right, he, well, he, if he goes 30-10-10, we're getting off track here a little bit. But if he goes 30-10-10, I, I think people are going to have a hard time ignoring that. Well, well, so I th- I don't think it's off track. I think it's very relevant, and here's why: because so so since. 1985. But it, it is right. off track Every, because the Thunder are a good team. So he does not. To me, that the Thunder are. Well, what about like not, hard, What about like Harden? Like Harden. All right, the Rockets so if, are if a decent Harden, team. They're not going to lose 50 games. But if they end up, but if they end up in the like six, seven seed or something like that, no, James Harden is not going to get any vote for MVP. Like, just I'm trying to make the argument here that in the in the NBA, like it it is completely tied. Like if you're going to consider a player great or have a great season is completely tied to your team's performance because every MVP since 85 have come from a team that was seeded one or two with the exception of Carl Malone in 99, but the jazz actually tied for the best record in the West, but because of the NBA's weird seeding. Oh, that was, that was the awful stuff. 50 game season, wasn't it? Where it was just, yeah, they, they ended up basketball. in third. Yeah. And then Michael Jordan in 1988, the um because he was just damn insane that season 35 5 5 and 3 like he was just in you know the that could be a good podcast we would talk about just the 19 like 87 through 89 Michael Jordan and how statistically insane he was but you don't ever hear about that in MJ's legacy because you hear about the MJ that won the titles that didn't put up as insane of numbers even though they were only not insane by by MJ standards um so the last MVP to win uh to win the MVP in the NBA with a lower than the third seed was Moses Malone in 81-82 with the the Rockets that were a sixth seed that lost in the first round 
but he averaged 31 and 15 that season, which no one has done since in a full season. So let's, uh, this is my favorite part of the game or the podcast, the game where I like to quiz you with trivia questions. Okay, but wait, real quick, the Malone thing. So what you're saying is yeah. he's a statistical outlier, right? Basically. Yes. Well, that's what Westbrook is. Yeah. That, no, that's true. That's true. No, I mean, we're not, I don't think we're arguing really. I'm just more okay. illustrating for, for the people that we're not just making this stuff up. There is precedence for it. Yeah. So that that's the point that Moses Malone was so good that you couldn't not recognize it, but his team was still in the playoffs, which if Anthony Davis goes let's say he keeps up these numbers and the Pelicans miss the playoffs. If you had a vote for MVP, would you vote for Anthony Davis if his team is not in the playoffs? I thought he was the best player, yeah. See, I, I'm kind of prone it's just to like, agree it's just with like you. Trout. It's just like Trout winning the MVP in the American League this year, right? I mean, you even wrote a piece yeah. on that. Shameless blog plug. Yeah. Yeah. Blog.statmuse.com. Uh, so, yeah, with Trout, there was really no other discussion based on looking at the numbers he was far and away the best player and it may get to the point in the NBA where Anthony Davis at the end of the season if you look at it if he stays healthy which is always a question that he could be statistically far and away the best player in the NBA but if his team is the ninth or tenth seed or even worse it's not going to matter because the way the NBA ties winning to a player's value whereas baseball it's not that not that big of a deal or even but um, also keep in mind that like you know there are a ton of good candidates this year that is true there's not i get what was it the like two years ago i mean to me it's not clear Steph that harden it was they, a good argument what's that i was saying like it's not like so steph we had the good argument with steph and harden two years ago where you could go either way right. and then last year there was no competition no um, you knew who it was going to be, but I just I, I tend to agree with you. Like if if you ask me, like how do you interpret the most valuable player? Right? How do is it the player who you know his team had the most wins, um, which may or may not be directly contributed to him, or if I, I like I tend to interpret it kind of literally. If you say who is the most valuable player like you take that player away and his team will suffer the most no but like that, right no, now I, see, I don't like that because then what you're doing is you're tying an individual's value to the value of those around him is it that no it's what that what, what we've been doing no. it, to me it's what player produces the most wins period i don't care who his teammates are i don't care about any of that stuff what player does the most to produce wins. Now, Anthony Davis could be the answer to that question because it could be that every other player on his team does literally nothing <laughs> to produce wins. Yeah. You know? So I, I don't like that. Like, like if you put, um, let's, okay, you take LeBron off the Cavs and you stick him on uh, the Sixers. If the Sixers don't make the playoffs, is, is LeBron somehow less valuable? I mean, I could argue... I could be play devil's advocate and argue against you, but I mean, I agree with you. I see what you're saying. Um, Assuming he plays yeah, exactly the same, right? In other words, his, his the quality of play is the same for LeBron. His individual play. I mean, maybe that maybe that's the argument that 
it's impossible for the quality of play to be the same because your quality of play very much depends on who you have around you. Um, you put you think if you, you put Russell Westbrook on on the Pelicans with the roster they have now, do you think he's still able to put up the triple doubles that he is without having like Steven Adams and Oladipo around him to help at least help with those assist it's numbers? Possible to answer. That's what we're here. We're here to answer impossible questions. All right, so let me get back to, I want to get back to my favorite part of the podcast is trying to stump you with trivia questions. But I've never been able to because you seem to know everything and it's really annoying. So can you tell me which player has the record for worst team record in an MVP season? Worst team record? Worst team record, but was still named MVP. Mm. I think it was Bob Pettit. God. Right? Damn it. How do you know that? How do you know that? How do you know hey, that? Isn't he, is he the only MVP to come from a sub-500 team? No. There's another. Oh, no, Kareem, Kareem is the second. Kareem. Kareem's the second. I think he, well, Man, Kareem's I... team was 40 and 42. Yes, exactly. Do you... How many points per game did he average that season? Oh, I don't know. 27? 28. <laughs> yeah, this isn't any fun. I need to play I need to play this with someone dumber. Um, yeah, so Bob Pettit, worst record is for an MVP. Um, he put up 26 points, 16 rebounds a game. Um, I just don't think that that could happen again. Just with that's just the way that the, the the NBA is now, and the voters aren't going to reward someone who didn't. Oh, no, come on! But they said at least take their team to the playoffs. They, they say the same thing in baseball, like when Andre Dawson won an MVP award for the Cubs when they finished in last place. Oh, this will never happen again. They won't. If a guy is a big enough outlier, he can win an MVP, even for a team with a losing record. And is you think is Davis that big of an outlier? No, he's not. Right I was, that's why I was saying earlier. I, I don't that I don't think Davis qualifies because you've got guys like Westbrook doing insane things and Harden, and you still have LeBron and Curry and Durant. I mean, it's not it's not a case where Davis is a clear um, statistical outlier. Well, so do you think? Well, let's let's talk about more statistical outliers maybe who didn't win the mvp but just more back along the lines of best players on worst teams so like i said demarcus cousins was the one that pops into my mind without without even doing any research he's the one that that i think of are there any others that that we need to be sure to bring up in this discussion well i mean you want you still talking about modern players you want to go back in history a little bit you can go back in history, but me and most other people aren't going to know what the hell you're talking about <laughs> or ever hear of these. But listen, for the for that few people that listen to this, for the Justin Kabatko's like off the top of the head knowledge of MVPs from the 1955-56 season, please let's indulge I'm not, those. I'm people. not going back that far. I'm only going back about 35 years or so. So uh, okay, have you heard of Adrian Dantley? Oh yeah, I've heard of Adrian. Okay, so Dantley. see there. So Adrian Dantley, Hall I can't tell you, I can't tell you much else about him. Yeah, but so he's he's a Hall of Famer, six time All Star selection, uh, big time volume scorer. He was only like six four or six five, but he was a little hefty. In fact, I think earlier in his career they called him fat, but he like Oliver Miller hefty. No, no, not that bad. Uh, but 
He had a large backside, which actually helped because he was he had a great post game. So even though he's only six four, six five, dude could score in all kinds of ways from the post. Um, so that's how you're breaking down these players. Now you're saying this guy had a fat yeah, ass based on their posterior that's the, size. <laughs> that's the that's the level of analysis we've we've dropped to. I love it, by the way. Let's just do a whole podcast on the fattest ass players. Of all time. So, so anyway, so back in the 80s, uh, Dantley played for the Jazz. People might remember him for his days with the Pistons in the later 80s, but actually he started, he didn't start with the Jazz, but he became uh, an all-star player with the Jazz, and he led the league in scoring in 80-81, and then he was third in 81-82. Those two years, if you combine, he averaged about 30 points, six rebounds, and four assists a game. So he's doing a lot, but the teams were not good. Those Jazz teams went 28 and 54 and 25 and 57. So he's putting up tremendous stats, but for a team that did not see a lot of success. One that I was looking up that came, came to mind that I saw um, ranking on like stat news, you're able to rank um, players winning percentage in a season based on their scoring average, which is pretty cool to do. Um, the lo- the lowest one, if you rank um a winning percentage by a player who still averaged 25 points per game in a season. The lowest team winning percentage that came up was um, Orlando Woolrich from the 1990-91 Warriors. Oh, oh no, um, no, no, no. Not the Warriors. He played for the Nuggets, I believe. Nuggets, Nuggets. Sorry, sorry. That, those yes, that, right. those were the Paul Westhead teams that like yeah. ran like crazy and scored 125 but gave up 135 every game. Yeah, exactly. And teams seem to have not learned from that. <laughs> hey, guys, this doesn't work. But Orlando Woolridge um, came over after being a footnote as the uh, the last player to lead the Bulls in scoring in a season before uh, Michael Jordan took over. Um, good player. He was known for being a you know a dunk master. He could throw the ball down. Didn't have a, a overall like well defined game, but um, he was averaging twenty nine points a game that season before he had got a detached retina from running into an, um, a collision with another player and came back and, you know, was a little bit worse, but still finished the season averaging 25 points a game. But that uh, Nuggets team only won nine of the 53 games that he where he played. So um, really low winning percentage for someone that put up uh, that many points. And maybe we don't really remember anything about that because it was an unmitigated disaster. Well, quit- and, like, overall, it's stink. Sorry, I was going to say, ahead. coincidentally, he went to Notre Dame, as did Dantley. Oh, really? Yeah. How about that? We'll pretend we planned this. Um, I was thinking a lot, too, about this overall... Wait, but just hold on. But before you, Woolridge, he did not have a good season. He, he scored 25 a game, but he, the team was terrible. They played at an insane pace, which inflated his per-game numbers, and he wasn't particularly efficient. So, I mean... Yeah, he averaged twenty. Yeah, no, he averaged twenty five a game, but it was about the softest twenty five points per game you could ever imagine. Yeah, almost as soft as Adrian Dantley's ass. Adrian Dantley's pillowy, you know pillowy ass. I, let me tell you. Let me tell you everything I know about Orlando Woolridge's ass. Anyone with the name Orlando Woolridge is going to have a big meaty ass. You just don't have that name. Like Dave Johnson, that's a bony ass name right there. Orlando Woolridge. That dude has a big fat ass. I guarantee it. I don't know what he looks like off the top of my head, but I'm going to just pretend that that's true. No one look it up. Just go with it. But I was thinking about all this kind of like um, 
when they talk about history is uh, is written by the victors or history is is written by the winners like in many ways kind of sports history is the same way where you have these these guys who have come and gone in NBA lore who put up incredible numbers but then just aren't really remembered by future generations because they never won anything because they never had any playoff success and that's kind of it's kind of what we're what we're dealing with here because a lot of people don't remember I don't I know basketball probably better than most not near as much as you I don't remember a damn thing about Adrian Dantley and it's probably because of he didn't win anything. Well, I mean, also it's our age difference, right? I mean, I'm about 10 years older than you. And Dantley was playing in the 80s, which is when I became an NBA fan. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to know more about him than you do. Yeah. Oh, all right. Who else do you know more about than I do? We don't have time to list all those That's names. a very open-ended question. <laughs> <laughs> but in this context. I, so, so one of the things I, I kind of discovered as I was doing this is that like there were very few what you would call all-time great seasons for a bad team. I mean, there were lots mm-hmm. of players who put up really good seasons for bad teams, but in terms of like all-time great seasons that you would always remember, I mean most of those seasons were on playoff type teams. Maybe the best season by a guy on on a bad team was Chamberlain in 62-63. Uh Oh really? Uh, yeah. So Wilt that year averaged Almost 45 points per game and 24 rebounds per game. Now, th- this is the early That's, 60s, and yeah. you need to take a bite out of those numbers because the teams back then were averaging like 105 to 110 shots per game, whereas nowadays it's something like, you know, uh, 85 shots per game. So you got to give those numbers like a 20 to 25% discount. But even so, I mean, even if you took a bite out of those numbers, you're still talking about something like, 33 points and 18 rebounds per game, so it's pretty good. Um, really good. <laughs> but that team finished 31 and 49. So you got a guy who's putting up the second highest scoring average in history and the sixth highest rebound average in history, and yet his team is 18 games under 500. Yeah. Do you, do you know were there any ex- external factors or anything else involved in that season to where they? They ended up so poorly. Nothing off the top of my head. Are there, there any were... other injuries or anything like that? Not... No, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm asking. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't know. Um, no, that I mean, yeah, that's going to be hard to argue with. Is one of the the best worst seasons of all time. Uh, one that I had flagged that really stuck out to me was uh, Walt Bellamy. In 1961-62. So actually, you can take his first his, three seasons, but go ahead. I mean, yeah, yeah, but his first season, especially uh, his first overall pick of the Chicago Packers, who are now which the Wizards, yes. or no, you they got became the Bullets. Yeah, became the Bullets, and then the the Wizards. They were they were the which, Zephyrs in there at some point too. Yeah, they changed it because uh, Chicago people didn't like having the same name as. The Green Bay Packers, which, you know, hey, surprise, surprise, Chicago and Green Bay don't like each other in football, um, which I just think I think it's funny, too, that because uh, I was looking this up and they said they named the team after Chicago's meatpacking district, which to me, like back in the time the back in those days, we're like, all right, we want to name this team after something that our city's good at, something that our city's proud of. And they're like, 
what do we have? What do we have that we're, that we're really proud of? And some guy, some guy's like, I, you know, we put meat in boxes really well. We're really good at putting meat in boxes. Let's name the team after that. That's, that's a like, horrible. Right, cool. That's a horrible Chicago accent. The, horrible. We put the meat in the boxes. Oh, we put gosh. meat in boxes. We we named a basketball team after Keep that. Day job. The Bears. I just think that's funny that the way that they that we named that they named teams back then that that was something that they would be really proud of. But anyway, I'm glad, Pits- I'm glad Pittsburgh had the steel industry. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's a much stronger name. Yeah. So Walt Bellamy, 61-62, averaged 31.6 points, 19 rebounds a game. But the the Chicago Packers finished with the league's worst record at 18-62. and 62. So uh, when I was searching on StatMuse, that, that one really stuck out to me as a really big performance on a bad team. And um, You know, and I, also, so Bellamy, just, I don't know if you're going to move on from Bellamy, but he, well, I had a few more okay, things. Yeah, no, but I was I was going to actually Little say things. something about Bellamy, so I wanted to make sure I, I go got for it. In. So he's a Hall of Famer, but yes. he's one of the few Hall of Famers I would think, maybe the only one, whose rookie season was the best season of his career. Oh, really? It was all downhill from from. Well, I mean, there. it wasn't downhill. He made the All Star game his first four seasons in the league. But if you look at his stats, like his first four seasons were definitely his four best seasons in the NBA, and I think he played. Did, 10 more seasons beyond that. I think he played 14 seasons. But like those first four, clearly the four best seasons of his career. Yeah. And I saw looking at StatMuse, he has the fourth lowest winning percentage by a player with a um, career points per game average of at least 20. But he's still he's still a Hall of Famer. So like the the losing aspect kind of followed him for the rest of his career, even if that's his fault or not. I have I do have another trivia question for you, though, okay. about Walt Bellamy. Let's do it. So Walt, Walt Bellamy is a, an historical footnote for having um, the NBA, the all-time record for the most what in a season? Games played? God, eight. how do you know all 88 this? 88 games played? Is that what it was? Yes. Eight, he played he was traded record. in the season, and the schedules were way games. off. games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 1968-69, he was traded multiple times and ended up playing 88 games in the season. So, yep, but Justin knew that. Of course he did. Um, who else? Is there anyone else that comes to mind that we really need to include in this discussion? All right, I'm going to go way back here. Like, okay. well before either of us were even born. These are back when our parents were very young. So I'm going to go back to 1952-53. There was a guy named Neil Johnston. That's not Have you ever player. heard of him? I think I've heard of Neil Johnston, the like plumber in my hometown, or Neil Johnston, the, the tax accountant. There's no Neil Johnston NBA player. That's not a real player. He later changed his name to Neil Armstrong and became an astronaut, but... What? All right. Well, I see. I get it now. No, sorry. Okay. Back. He's the only player to score in the NBA and step foot on the moon. That's a good record to have. Anyway. Okay. So, so Johnson's a Hall of Famer. He led the NBA in scoring three times. He was a six-time All-Star, five times All-NBA, and four times in a row his first team selection. So he was like considered, until Russell came along, probably the best center in the NBA after Mike and before Russell. Um, hmm. but anyway, so 52, 53, this is pre shot clock. So he averaged 22 points per game, but that led the league. 
pre-shot clock. So the you know the pace was a lot slower. Games were not as high scoring. Led the league in scoring. Uh, averaged almost 14 rebounds a game. But his team was 12 and 57. Ooh. Well, so how do you take someone like him and his season that was so so far back and try to compare it to someone like you know Walt Bellamy that was a little bit later or to a much greater extent Anthony Davis or Westbrook or whoever from our modern era I mean can you even do that because the game's so different is it is it a complete apples to oranges comparison I mean I th- well you have to make adjustments right you have to make adjustments for the, the era in which the player played the style of play that was used at the time and so on I, I think there are ways that you for each player you can get an estimate of uh, how many wins they produced as an individual. Now, obviously, that's going to have an error bar around it, but I think you can do that reasonably. And wins are the same. One win now is the same as one win back in 1950. So I I think there are ways to compare them. They're not perfect. And there's going to be, like I said, there's going to be large error bars around these estimates. But I think there are ways to compare, like, Johnson back in the 50s to Anthony Davis today. Yeah. Are there any... There's. One that stood out to me that I thought, maybe not from a single season perspective, but just a, a, a sustained kind of run of good to great play for teams that went nowhere, uh, was uh, Elton Brand, who started um, his rookie year, had 20, 20 points, 10 rebounds a game, where the Clippers won nine games. No, the Bulls, not the Clippers. And, he started with the Bulls. Bulls, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Bulls. Um, and then he goes seven straight seasons. Um, of approximately that same stat line, 20 points, 10 rebounds a game before finally getting a winning season. Like he just had a sustained run of good numbers on terrible teams. Oh, yeah, he was a fantastic player, especially like, I think it was 2003, 2004. It was probably his, his peak. I mean, he was a really, really, really good player for unfortunately yeah. well, bad he, Clippers teams. He just retired, right? I believe just this off season. Yeah, like he's like, been, he, he's he, been he going. He played for the Sixers at the end of last season, right? I think he was brought in after the regime change to um, provide some veteran leadership to that ragtag group. Um, yeah. Well, good for Elton Brand, making that money. Probably made more money in that last year than he did his first year, too. Good for him. Good for you, Elton Brand. Is there, any, is there anyone else that, you, uh, that the people need to know about? So I think one that maybe we should talk about just because of Westbrook and Harden, you know, Westbrook and Harden um, scoring lots of points, dishing out lots of assists. So who's, uh, trivia question for you this time. Oh, you're just doing this. Who is the only player in NBA history to lead the league in both scoring and assists? Wait, in one season? season. (sighs) Scoring and assists in one season. Uh, can you give me an era? Early 70s. Played for the Kings and Royals. Well, Royals slash Kings. Played for the Celtics at the end of his career. I know, Had a I famous nickname. <laughs> Keep going, For his diminutive hints. size. Uh, I have no idea. Who is Nate it? Nate Tiny Archibald. Oh, God. Okay, I should have known that. Yeah, so in 72-73, he led the NBA in scoring and assists, but his team was 36-46. and 46. In the previous year, 
they had been they were 30 and 52 and he averaged 28 points nine assists so he was second in points per game and third in assists per game so kind of like Harden right where he's he's scoring lots of points and dishing out lots of assists and yeah so but great player bad team all right so let's try as we're trying to wrap this up I think you already kind of hinted at your answer but if you if you had to say if you had to pick one season from a player that was the the best bad season ever who would you pick yeah i think i, I think i did more than hint at it i think i might have actually said it i, I think i'd probably go with chamberlain 62 63 yeah it, i mean it's hard for me to argue against that if i had to if, if that's one a and i had to throw like a one b on there i guess i would go with walt bellamy's season that i mentioned just because the the record was quite a bit lower than Chamberlain's, but of course he didn't average 40 points a game like Chamberlain did. And if you're looking at how that translates to, to today's game and what we're seeing, are, look into your crystal ball. I know you're really good at looking back into time and picking out knowledge and stats and stuff, but look into the future a little bit and let, tell me what do you think is going to happen as far as this season, we can look at Anthony Davis, Harden, Westbrook. Are any of those three players going to end up, if we, if someone else does this, whatever the equivalent is of podcasting is in 30 years, are they going to bring up any of those three guys 2016-17 season as among the, the greatest bad seasons that we've seen? Well, I think it's Anthony Davis. I, I don't, like I said earlier, Harden and Westbrook, to me, those teams are far from bad teams. And... I go ahead. I think this this might just be for my own personal bias, but I think the Rockets have a very good chance of completely collapsing this season. I think they're really overachieving. Once uh, Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon get hurt, you know they will. Harden's gonna have. You're no just one a, to, this is just a bitter ex employee. It might be. This is yeah, it might no, be. This is just wishful but if thinking to, on your part. Yeah, I mean, just I just like to watch them suffer. Um, <laughs> I think I think that's a very real possibility. You, you can't say that they're you don't think that they're not overachieving so far this early, and a lot of that's you got to give Harden credit. Harden has been playing. I mean, yeah, out that's of his Harden mind. is really, really, really good. I know he it is pained a, you to say that. He is to, good to at basketball. No, I can say that. I can say he is good at basketball. He is very good. Yeah, at I understand basketball. the coded language you're using there, but we're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. If we're looking in in a crystal ball, I. Anthony Davis is definitely on his on his way to having one of these seasons, and they're. But I'd I'd be shocked if if they if they get anywhere close. I mean, yeah, but like, would you, like, to, what if they finish thirty eight and forty four? You know. Yeah, then maybe it's it's becomes kind of mediocre. Or on the other, I think if they continue to plummet, and let's say that in February they they're still floating around like fourteen wins or something like that. They may go into operation shutdown with him, you know, with his injury history. It's like, you know, let's not waste him. That's, this a, is a, that's a Derek season. Bell reference. Yeah, that's Houston, baby. This is, <laughs> I know about my operation shutdown. So, yeah, who's who knows? We may end up we may end up seeing history this season, but not the type of history that that anyone from the NBA is very proud of. So. On that note, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Justin Cabaco, as always, bringing the heat. I give him a hard time, but that's just because I'm jealous of him, and I know he actually knows a lot more than I do. So 
If he says that Wilt Chamberlain had the worst bad, worst, you the, can't even say the it. best bad, the best, <laughs> oh God, <laughs> if he had the best bad season of all time, who am I to argue against him? It's pretty good. Let, let's word so, it this way. Best season for a bad team. Best bad best season, season makes no for sense. For a bad team. You can't, can't even let me have that. I can't even get the branding part right. You just gotta, you gotta do everything. You gotta say everything. Everything's right with its Justins. Actually, if you go Thank back you in this listening. podcast, I'm I'm still mad at myself for doing this. I said Omar Ashik instead of Omer Ashik. So I'm Omer really I'm really Ashik. mad at myself about that. He has one of the most mispronounced names ever. So you were you were very very close. That that guy's name gets butchered, butchered all the time. It's not a Sikh. It's Ashik. No, but it was his first name that I got wrong too. I think I said Omar instead That's of Omer. Right. No one cares. No one cares about Omar. Omar cares. <laughs> Anthony Davis definitely doesn't care when he's lugging his ass up the floor doing nothing. What were we talking about? I don't know. About? You're back to asses again. I, I, don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Let's just wrap this up. All right. That's what we learned. What did we learn in this, this podcast? Will Chamberlain had the best season for a bad team. Adrian Dantley had the fattest ass in NBA history. I don't that we don't we can't prove that but maybe for the next episode like I would I would love doing an entire episode on nothing but NBA players asses but I think we would get a different kind of clientele maybe who would listen to that but hey I'm all about branching out so thank you to anyone who's listening whether you're listening for an in-depth analysis of numbers and random ass trivia from the 1950s from some guy named Neil who probably didn't even play basketball or if you're here for the ass discussions, we do that as well. We bring a little bit of everything for everyone. So thank you very much for listening. Be sure to check out the blog that we've already shamelessly plugged at blog.statmuse.com, where we'll put up some of the StatMuse searches that we referenced here in this episode. Um, thank you very much for listening. We will see you on the next episode of Stat Stories.